U.S. consumers are getting squeezed. Cash levels are growing short. Credit card usage is up considerably at a time when the average APR on a card is 21%. And we know that globally, consumers and not manufacturing are carrying the economy. In the U.S., consumer spending accounts for about two-thirds of GDP. Now, add in big interest rate hikes by the Fed and the ECB in a very short time frame and consider what that has done to make capital raising and spending much more expensive. We've talked about this in content and on podcasts many times. The cost of capital has gone up significantly in the very short period of time, and this will have ramifications. Just as a pandemic put the brakes on the global economy by the decision-making of large central governments, so too will the magnitude of change in the cost of capital hit global markets. These things, though, they have lag time. Now, one consideration, of course, is the fact that we raised the debt ceiling. And fortunately, the government doesn't have a debt ceiling, so they can help keep GDP afloat with spending from the central level. <laughs> I say this facetiously, of course. Both parties are responsible. We're, we're, you know, we've got an astronomical federal debt now, which is around $32 trillion. Um, but, you know, if they're going to be spending, that at least uh, could add to GDP in the form of, you know, government influx of capital. Uh, but wait, 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 the S&P 500 is up and everyone's talking about AI. Well, about that. Only eight stocks, call it seven or eight, are responsible for about 90% of the return of the S&P this year, while everything else is flat to negative. And a subset of those have run up to pretty extended levels of valuation. Now, I was in the industry during the run-up of the tech boom 1.0, Y2K. Back then, every portfolio manager owned Cisco, and every happy hour had people talking about owning it. So forgive me if I'm a little skeptical. And not to say the enthusiasm over AI isn't warranted. I'm more interested in what AI can do in terms of helping solve for our productivity issues long term and would rather engage in that analysis than, say, talking pandemic stocks, meme stocks, SPAC promotions, Web3 metaverse or crypto tokens. It just happens that AI sort of tacked on to the end of this stream of pumps that were fed by massive flows of liquidity into markets, the likes of which we have never seen. Liquidity goes up, asset prices go up. Liquidity comes out, asset prices deflate. But we also had that bank run thing in March, remember? And the many bailout of those banks. So when the Fed and Treasury made cash reserves available to banks while helping orchestrate the bailout or buyouts, another flood of liquidity moved into markets. We were not expecting it. We're seeing liquidity come down substantially in rate of change terms. More money is being drained from the system, albeit money flows are still higher than they were pre-pandemic by a substantial amount. It means that there's a lot of cash still out there. But the rate of change, the, the magnitude of change is important, and, and calculus, as we know, moves markets. By now, you may have heard that because the debt ceiling was raised and because money from the Treasury was used to backstop bank failures, Treasury Secretary Yellen will be refilling the TGA, or the Treasury General Account, and that has an effect of pulling more liquidity from markets. Add to this that there will be significant Treasury bill or T-bill issuance in the coming months, and it yields that we haven't seen in a generation. With, with so much uncertainty in the global economy and markets, the idea of getting yield at an essentially risk-free rate definitely has a strong appeal. 
Meanwhile, central banks are still signaling that they'll keep raising rates in an attempt to control inflation. And this is further exacerbating the inverted yield curve. You can find more discussion of that in previous podcasts. Germany's yield curve has reached its most inverted point since 1992. UK, most inverted since 2000. And in the US, the two-year yields are over 1% above the 10-year bond rates as of today. The S&P 500 has experienced a full down week just recently, and it is possible that the economic gravity is setting in, although we've seen a momentary rebound. S&P Global U.S. Manufacturing PMI uh, dropped to 46.3 in June. Uh, That's well below the 50 mark that signifies the dividing line between expansion and contraction. So just know that the manufacturing numbers are telling us that we are in contraction, not expansion. Personally, I'm not as quick to buy the notion that a resilience of the labor market along with inflation coming down are signs that the odds of recession have decreased. Because when you dive into the labor numbers, you find that higher wage jobs haven't necessarily been expanding, whereas uh, lower wage jobs have. And many people are carrying two jobs, such as working a side gig to make ends meet. But for now, the consensus is that the U.S. will dodge a recession this year, although we disagree based on the research we follow. We align a bit more with Bloomberg's chief U.S. economist, Anna Wong, who recently stated, amid the most rapid Fed hiking cycle in four decades, Bloomberg Economics has long forecast a recession in the second half of 2023. With the economy exhibiting a bit more momentum at mid-year than anticipated, We now think a downturn is more likely to begin later in the second half than earlier. Also notable is that China continues to show economic contraction. Uh, They're in a slowdown, which is a major force upon demand for raw goods and natural resources. According to the probabilities we follow, the GDP growth rate of China could actually get cut by half. The question is, how much will the consumer keep things afloat via services spending? Right now, it's the over 60 crowd with expendable income that's carrying the weight. Bank lending just hit its lowest point of the market cycle. Auto loans are down significantly. The overall personal savings rate today is about 3 to 4%, while in the 1970s, it was about 10 to 13%. Now, on a brighter note, that personal savings rate has actually ticked up uh, recently, so it looks like maybe people are taking advantage of these higher risk-free yields uh, that are being presented by... um, UST bills uh, and money market funds. Now, money market funds are not risk-free, but they're definitely very conservative. The rate of change in lending has slowed significantly. Banks are tightening underwriting standards and the cost of borrowing is going up uh, while demand for lending is falling. Uh, Now, for a little bit more, we're going to move to uh, part three because we're at about the seven-minute mark. So we're going to get more into markets and some of the technicalities as well as real estate and a couple of other areas. So join us over there for part three. If you like this content, and we hope that you do, please subscribe and give us a rating. For more info on who we are, please visit followthemission.com. For other timely and insightful content, connect and follow us on LinkedIn. You can also find that link easily on our website, again, at followthemission.com. This is not a financial advice. We don't know your individual or organizational situation. Consult a professional if you're looking for guidance. This podcast is produced by Mission Advisory Group, an independent registered investment advisor. Please visit our website for all disclosures.